Thank you. Man, this table is like a dining room table. It's like a CrossFit workout to get this thing up here. The little guy left me. My name is Chad Norris, and I'm the lead pastor here. This is my wife, Wendy. Wendy, will you stand up? Will you stand up? Can we give Wendy a hand this morning? I realize how many new families have joined the church, like 130 in the past, I don't know, seven or eight months. There's a lot of people that don't know who we are. And so my name is Chad, and this is Wendy. I've been at the men's retreat the last couple of days, and it's been great. I see a couple of people. Bobo's here, and Keys is here. It's been awesome. I think we had around 120 men. Uh, Vince Gaskin spoke yesterday morning, and TJ Lenardi uh, two nights ago and last night. God's doing a, a lot of good things in men's lives. I want to show some pictures. Do we have some of those pictures from the men's retreat? It's at beautiful Ridgecrest, where growing up Baptist, I thought, I went there so much, I thought if you were good in life when you died, you probably would end up in Ridgecrest in the afterlife. These are some good pictures. Let's just scroll through some of these. It's great to see so many new faces. I call Ben the largest worship pastor in the world. Big Bear. It's just really, really awesome. Something powerful happens when you go away. I think God just meets you. When, when you sacrifice and give up something, he just he lands on you. Let's pray for the men this morning. They're in a service right now. Father, I pray for these men that, that uh, you would just finish so strong with them. I thank you for the men in this church. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I've never been more thankful in my life just for you. We love you. We honor you. And Jesus, today, over the next 30 minutes, I just want to thank you for who you are in my life. You're the greatest friend I've ever had. And I, just over the next 30 minutes, I give this sermon to you like that little boy with fish and bread. I'm going to give you my all. And I ask that you not let one word come out of my mouth that's not from you. I want to thank you for introducing me to the Father. You're incredible. There's no other king I'd rather have. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a passage. I had an encounter with God in worship. And one of the things that's probably my highest core value personally, you know, we have core values like in my nuclear family and then at the church. But like for me, I would rather coach than eat. Uh, I just, I live to coach. I live to make disciples. I live to pull the gold out of other leaders. I think I'm on this earth to lead leaders. That's not always been true, but recently I just, I love to develop leaders. I'd rather do it than eat. When I see something on someone, I love to just coach that thing up. And one, if you notice at this church, uh, I preach less than most lead pastors that I know of. You know, a lot of churches are built upon a personality and you market around that personality. And when that leader, that teacher, him or her is not on stage, giving goes down and not, not as many people come. That just really irritates me because I don't think it's biblical. When we bring in outside speakers, there's more excitement here. There's more people here, and the giving's higher. Brian Schwartz came in last Sunday night. Sunday night was double the attendance. It irritated me last week. God's been opening up my eyes. I've been praying a Jeremiah 33, three blessing over my life that I want God to show me things he's never shown me. And it's not right. 
And there's a celebrity spirit that has entered the church. And a lot of churches are growing and it's not because God's with them. It's because they're using the spirit of mammon's structure over the churches. Well, anyway, if you notice here, I just, there, a lot of times, a lot of people say, how come you don't preach more? Well, one of the things that I just highly value is development. Like I love, I love to develop. I love it. Even watching Jess this morning. See, I've known Jess for years now and watching how she's grown as a communicator just in the intro of, of our service that I just, I love that. But one of the things I, I put a lot of people on stage. If you notice that I can go three or four weeks and not preach. And I actually think that's healthy, but there are times in an organization when the God will ask you as a CEO of your company to lead stronger in a season than you've led in a long time. You know, there's ebbs and flows. What's the whole Ecclesiastes? You got to have the ability to discern the seasons. There's time to grieve. There's time this and that. This morning on the way to church, I just mumbled out loud to the father. I said, I have not felt this in a long time. What is this? And he said, this is what it is. Jeremiah 29. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word in my heart is like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And so I haven't been here in a long time. I've been in a cave season for about four months. And the father showed me that season is over. And so just as the leader of this organization, this church, this family, I want to tell you over the coming months, I'm going to be doing most of the speaking on Sunday morning, which is not uh, common for me. But there comes a time when God will put something in a leader's bones. It ain't in my heart. It's, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. You, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. It's in my bones. I may yell for the next six months and that's okay. I am, I am warning this church and whoever's watching online. We have, we have people in Ohio. This is their church on Sunday morning. They gather in their den. You'd be surprised if you knew the stats of how many people uh, are following Bridgeway and the Coach and Joe YouTube television channel. This message is getting out to a lot of places. And so I'm just saying before you, and I just sent the staff a message on Workplace, that over the coming months, I'm going to be doing most of the leadership from stage on Sundays. Not because I read a book. This, if you know me, and the staff can attest to this, this is actually not the way I'm wired. Uh, if I make mistakes, it's typically because I give too much away. But for the coming months, there's fire in my bones, and, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me articulate it and just spew it. And I hope you catch on fire as I preach. Amen. You need to come to church on Sunday nights. God is doing something here on Sunday nights. This year at the table conference... We're going to call it a gathering. It's a table gathering. It's going to be in November. This will be our fourth year. I am bringing in zero outside communicators to the table gathering. Zero. Every communicator will be from inside this house. And God is drawing a line. There are a lot of people that come and they get a hit from what God is doing at Bridgeway. And when guest speakers come, they're all in. And then they disappear four or five months. And they don't give and they don't serve. The game is changing from heaven's perspective here at Bridgeway. He's looking for people to not only uh, die to the Father, but to choose a delegated authority, which is the structure of this leadership. Go all in with your first fruits and go all in with your time. You know that most people have complaints against my leadership, don't give and don't serve. You know that? Most people that, uh, that have complaints against me, they don't give and don't serve. 
And I want to say who wants to go all in with what God's doing here because Holy Spirit is here on Sunday nights. You need a famous communicator to come in and to get a hit off that, you might need to get to know God. It's, I want to see what God can do. It's actually what he's saying. He wants to see what can happen when we rally around Jesus and not some famous name. I'm going to preach whatever he tells me to preach. And I pray if there's any impurity in me over the next coming months with whatever I preach, that he remove me. But I ask that he use what comes out of my mouth to help refine you if it's not impure. And let God decide which is which. I have no agenda on this. I got this word of knowledge download in worship this morning. So I'm excited. Can I preach? Will you let me preach? I ask a couple of things over the next coming months. Cheer me on, help me on, fuss at me somewhere outside the room. While I'm up here letting it rip, just engage this. My first spiritual father I ever had was an African-American professor. He, he taught a class for 12 weeks on the history of African-American preaching. What I love from Dr. Smith is in his culture, people don't just sit and spectate like I'm some guitar player at a concert. Like, put, put, put your whole heart into this. Put your whole mind into this. Because there's fire in my bones and you're about to get it for about five months. All right. When I was, when I was young, and I hate to admit this because uh, my daughter is taking after me, I develop an absolute hatred for going to school. And I, ha- hatred. Uh, I love to go to school to play football at recess and to look at pretty girls starting around the fifth grade. Uh, her name was Jennifer. I remember putting on my dad's Brute 33. I put it all over my clothes. I smell like a walking uh, Macy's in a mall. Uh, I remember. I'm not going to say her last name. She could be watching. That would be embarrassing. But uh, she, was, she was the pride of Westview Elementary. I'm not joking. She was so beautiful that I loved to go to school just to stare at her, honestly. But then... Mrs. Dover started teaching us substitution. I don't know what it is. I don't know how I go to... I think God's punishing me, making me get a doctorate because I hated school most of my life. But whenever... When I studied history, I loved it. Always made A's. When I studied science and math, I just could never understand it. Ever. When I was in seminary, I, I made all A's in Greek. The only reason I passed Hebrew is the professor liked me, honestly. And I wrote her notes thanking her. I showed her gratitude. I told her, I said, I'm not going to pass. God hates me and I'm probably not going to heaven, but I love you. <laughs> she, Dr. Norfleet Day, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look at her and I'm going to say, I know what you did. I know you passed me. I'm not crazy. When, when Mrs. Dover started teaching me substitution, I have flashbacks now when my wife is going over my 10-year-old's homework. Does anyone ever have a crisis moment when you are trying to do homework with your kids? Do you ever feel like you need to get born again again when that's happening? And now they've changed the way you do math. And I'm like, talk to your mother. I have no idea. No clue. It's humiliating to be getting a doctorate and I can't do my kids' homework with some of these courses. I'm like, what is this? This is worse than Hebrew. I just, I, I, I love staring at Jennifer. I hated trying to figure out what a fraction was. I hated it. You don't understand. Like I've had dreams, even in the past five or 10 years of Mrs. Dover. And you would put that, that bracket, that one line, 
and you'd put a nine like he's in a shelter and you put a three on the outside of that line and I got to figure out how many times that three goes into that nine. And I remember being about eight years old going to my dad. I probably could hear God before I knew I could hear God. And I told my dad, there's no chance in life I'll ever do this in my job. And, and he knew I was right. But he said, he said, well, you, you got to do it. And I would say, why? Why do we have to study some of this stuff we're studying? Do you ever, are you ever doing your kids' homework and you're like, what is the point of some of this? Like, I can understand history or English because you need to be able to spell you need to be able to send an email. You ever get an email and you're like, "Woo, this dude was drunk when he wrote this thing. <laughs> but have you ever had a conversation recently with a grown adult in your business, in your life, in your destiny, where you were drawing brackets, putting numbers under shelters, a line, a dot above and before? No. And if you tell me you do, you are a liar. I worked at Chick-fil-A back in the day. Even back in the day when I was selling boneless breast of chicken on a toasted butter bun with pickles. When I was doing that, even back then, you just, you plug in the chicken sandwich, it costs this much. The, like no one uses that stuff anymore. My daughter said last week, true story, I promise, he can strike me if I'm making this up. I know where she gets it from. Is she here? Is Ruthie here? Good, she's downstairs. When I was pulling in to Malden Middle School, she said, Dad, who invented school? And I said, what do you mean? Who invented it? And I was like, I don't know. I said, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, Luke 2.52. She's like, no, who invented like the fact that I got to do this every day? And I said, what are you talking about? And, and then I realized, oh, my goodness. You ever look at your child and you feel like you're looking in a mirror? Don't get too mad at one of your kids because they picked it up from you. And then I told my daughter what I said I would never do. I repeated something my dad would say. That's when you know you're in a tight spot. Because when my dad used to say, because I told you so, I made a vow before God. I will never say that to one of my kids. I say it once a week, my kids. <laughs> Do you ever say something and you, you even say it the way your, one of your parents said it? That's a tough moment. That's an inner healing, sozo type moment. Where you text one of your friends, I have become my mom. And I look at Ruthie and I said, it's just what you're supposed to do. She goes, well, why do I have to do this every day? And I'm thinking, uh, because God says so, Leviticus 4.9. <laughs> I never understood substitution. To this day, I'm not going to lie. When it's like, Ruthie will ask you a question and her homework makes Wendy so mad or usually Jack. Hey, what's so-and-so? Siri, what's uh, 459 divided by four? Siri is the greatest gift to God, minus the Holy Spirit in our lives we've ever had. If you can't hear the Holy Spirit, you just ask Siri. You got a lot of these kids now with their cell phones in class just asking Google. Google, who invaded in the war of 1409? But I remember Mrs. Dover, I, I remember having my first hopeless educational moment where I just knew I would never understand substitution. Now, some of you right now are judging me because you understand it. Well, I don't care. I, I still don't like it. I don't care how many these, these numbers go into that number. I just don't like it. I remember taking a test. You ever been to a foreign country and you're trying to get somewhere on a train or a plane and you look up at a board and it's that moment where you're just chewing gum of like, I, I have no idea. Go into an Asian country and you try to find somewhere and it's like, ah. Uh, 
And then you tap someone on the shoulder. Hey, can you help me? Eh, no, speak English. And you're like, I'm going to be here for a month trying to find Saigon. That's what this test looked like to me. I didn't understand substitution. Can we put the definition of substitution up? This still triggers me a little bit right now. Um, Mrs. Dover calls me a lot of pain in my soul. It's the act, process, or result of substituting one thing for another. You ever just think sometimes they make stuff up in Webster? Like, that's, a, that's really deep. You know, substitution is like substituting one thing for another. Uh, number two, here we go. This is, we're getting there. Replacement of one mathematical entity by another of equal value. And then the third one, one that is substituted for another. That's a whole nother sermon. Most of my life until the age of 30, I knew I loved Jesus, but most of it was because he paved a way that I would not have to spend forever in hell. Not until the age of 30, which was 16 years ago, did I understand that in the Garden of Gethsemane was the beginning stages that we can see where he literally is becoming my substitution. I was in Christ at 12. I was in Christ 18 years with a $115,000 seminary degree on my wall, and there's no way at the age of 27, 28 that I would have been able to preach a sermon on substitution. That's embarrassing. I think a lot of people, specifically in the South, engage in a church. And by the way, being engaged in a church and giving your first fruits and serving is very different than listening to 15 podcasts a week. If you're not in community where there's conflict, you'll never be transformed to the image of Jesus. You need to get involved in a church and you say, church is too messy for me. I'm sorry. It was messy in Corinthians. It was messy in Ephesus. A lot of people come to church. They don't want to go to hell. They want some hope. They want to connect with God. But if I were to pass out a sheet of paper and to say, can you describe to me what substitution in the atonement with Jesus starting in the garden, moving towards the cross. Can you explain to me how he was your substitute? Now, obviously, we always need to specifically interpreting the scriptures from, a, from an Eastern stance in the Middle East. We always need to interpret the scriptures communally. God's people were, were always in numbers. In the West, it's typically isolated. What's God saying to me? My God time. Well, we need to be doing it in community, but the other side of the coin, there are times when you need to realize that this is just between you and him. So both are in play here. And today I'm going to talk more about the you and him, not your spouse, not the person that has hurt you the most that you want to blame for all your shortcomings. I'm talking about you, as MJ would say, the man in the mirror. just had that flash in front of my mind. Y'all remember watching that live when he did that on stage for the first time when he did the moonwalk? Ooh, I tried that for a month. Never worked. Never seen a white guy that can moonwalk in my life. When, when you get to the garden, the garden to me of Gethsemane is the heaviest point in the Gospels, even more than the cross. And I was just in Israel. Can we put a picture of Gethsemane? Uh, boy, when you know this passage and you know what the substitution of Jesus is and then you see the garden with your own eyes, 
to me, this is one of the top five sites we went to. It gets real. This is Gethsemane. One of the things that surprised me in Israel was how small every site was. The whole country is small. Gethsemane is smaller than this sanctuary. Would you say that's fair? Whoever was there, Denise, you say that's fair? It's smaller than this sanctuary. Now, obviously, some of these gnarly olive trees were not there. You can't have a 2,000-year-old tree, but I think they said one of them could, a couple of them could have been at least 1,000 years old. Is that right? I don't want to make this up. I know this, it would have looked like this. And so while I'm in the garden, the level of my own reverent honor to the one who gave us life for me, it just meant a little more. And so I want to explain that as we make our way to Resurrection Sunday on Easter, I want to try to help explain over the next 15 minutes. For some of you, you'll understand it for the first time in your life, how big a deal of what he said yes to in, in this garden. Can we leave it up? That garden. Something went down in this garden, and he was thinking of you when he did it. Not just you and your family, you. I want to ask you a question. When is the last time you fully believed that you put him on the cross? Let's just sit on that for a second. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God died for the world. He also died for you. And he died for you and you are the one that put him there. It's very difficult to walk in pride when you truly believe you put Jesus on the cross. Nothing will produce humility in your life more than that revelation. You, you know, you wake up in the morning and things aren't going your way for the last couple of months. Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things when you realize that he became sin on your behalf and you have a destiny in him? Who cares if 40% of the words spoken over your life manifest here? You got a pretty good reward awaiting you, the fact that you're not lost in an Adamic nature dead to yourself anymore. So let's go to the passage. This is Matthew 26. This is heavy. Uh, even the past week, reading this passage, it even, I felt heavy reading it. That's a good thing. A lot of spirit-filled people disassociate and call it worship when sometimes we need to sit in the heavy things of Scripture. We don't need to be going to get in a hit looking for the next encounter. Sometimes your encounter is fully realizing what he did for you and even through the Scriptures feeling that heaviness come on you. You know, David grew to a deep place in God and he was full of lamenting. A lot of people say there's no need for lamenting. That's not called faith. That's called denial. The people saying there's no need for lamenting typically are the ones that are in most need of counseling. And I've gotten to the point where I will not allow someone to speak into my life who's not been through a season of counseling. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. I don't know how I've preached this in the past. I never realized that one of the climactic moments of his life, Mount of Transfiguration, he takes Peter, James, and John. And he also takes his inner three to this. This, this passage shows up in three of the Gospels. I don't think I've ever preached it from Matthew. I preached it from Mark and Luke. And in this one, it shows me that Jesus in his leadership values the idea of investing in not just a bunch, the multitudes, but he has his inner circle. 
whether you're running your business, whatever you're doing with your life, in leadership, that Jethro principle that Moses used, you, you cannot lead something while everybody having access to you. And I need to be approachable, but there's nowhere in Scripture or even from heaven's agenda that I need to be accessible by everyone. But you do need to be approachable, but not accessible. Jesus didn't even take all 12 into this moment. I just think that's interesting. It shows up twice. And I've never seen it. I don't know how I never saw that. So he takes uh, Peter and the other two, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, that is an understatement of all time. We don't have the original text. But the word in Greek there for sorrowful and troubled is on a level of desperation. This was the heaviest moment, I believe, of his life on earth. And let me explain myself. I believe this moment was actually harder than after this when he's arrested and then goes to the cross. And I'm going to tell you why. This is the moment where pure holiness, God Almighty, is not holding your hand in your sin and taking sin into his hand. This is the moment where the transfer of my sin, where God Almighty is actually becoming sin. We are, we are typically bound by sense-round knowledge where it's very difficult for us to get our mind on things above and to see things the way God sees them. Can we go to 2 Corinthians 5.21? This is a shocker. This is the verse that led me into a life of healings and miracles, uh, signs, wonders, encounters, and specifically the prophetic. This one verse literally changed my life. I wrote it on a note card, stuck it on my mirror. You can ask my wife. I stuck it on a mirror. I, I, I spent about six years in a house that we used to live in. I looked at this verse so much, it became a part of me. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Let me just take my time here. One of the things you need to do is you don't just need to read the word. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation on the word you're reading. And once the lights come on for you, you'll never be the same. Ever. Now watch this. Who was it that, talk back to me, who was it that led the Israelites through the sea? Who was it that gave Moses that power? Who killed Goliath? But not really. Who was it that gave David that power? Who was it that made fig leaves to cover them up? Whatever, not fig leaves, but the garments to cover Adam and Eva, God. Who was it that met Abram in that Iraqi desert and said, Abram, Give me everything. I'll give you everything. We're going to cut a covenant. Look up into the sky. These are your descendants. Abram, you're going to be the leader of a mighty nation. It's God. It's Jehovah. If you only see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane as a man, you'll miss the whole point. The same one that led them through the sea. The same one that encountered Adam and Eve in the garden. The timeless one. The God of Genesis. The God before Genesis. Jehovah, the Father the greatest thought that humanity's ever had, the greatest person that's ever lived. It wasn't just Jesus in Garden of Gethsemane. It was the same one that encountered Moses in a bush. The same one. It's the same person. That same person who is so perfect, you don't have the ability to comprehend it, is the one that is becoming sin. He's not holding it. He's not, he's not just... Staring at it. You see, you got to ask yourself the question, why did Jesus sweat blood? You understand this? I mean, I've had some bad moments. 
Nervous breakdown will take you to some bad places. I had one 16 years ago. Some moments that you've had in your life, you've had some bad moments. Divorce is horrific. Premature death is horrific. Abuse is terrific. Some of you have gone through so much abuse that you've been so anxious that you feel like you can't even think anymore. I've never met one person that has sweated blood. I can't, I can't imagine heaven's perspective of what's going on in the garden that perfection is becoming disease. What kind of king is this? What kind of God is this? It wasn't his fault Adam did what he did with Eve. It wasn't his. We messed up what he set up. If I'm God, I would say, you, you lay in your own bed. You made this mess. You figure it out. He can't help himself. I've never met anybody like this. I don't know anyone like him. So why'd he do it? Why did he say yes to this? Because we've got to be objective. We're going to read about it in a second. Jesus Christ asked his father three times, please don't make me go through this. Many of you believe theologically he only said that just to fulfill the scripture of the Old Testament. Not true. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. Please take this cup from me. Well, we'll go back to this verse in a second. Let's go back to Gethsemane. In the garden, his disciples can't even stay awake. His top three who he spent three years developing can't stay awake. Let me tell you something. There's some places in God you cannot go with anyone else. There's some places in God that you can only go alone. Many of you are crying out for community and the reason that you don't right now is God has you in a sovereign season where you're finding things in him that you can't find with any other codependent structure. A lot of times what we call community is nothing but demigods and codependency and we, we need them. There's certain, there's certain times, Kairos times in your life, you got to go with you and God. It happened with Jesus. But what I love about this is Jesus didn't isolate all the time because he had, he had his three there. They just fell asleep on him. But there are times where Jesus is separating himself. His ethos was to get along with the Father all the time. The most climactic moment of his life is right here. This is it. I think this is the most climactic moment minus the resurrection. See, a lot of people focus on the cross, and rightfully so. And they focused on the re- resurrection, rightfully so. This is the moment where he said yes to it. I'm telling you, when he came out of the garden, he said, arrest me. Kiss me, Judas. Let's go. Because I'm making a beeline back to my father. But this is the moment where he says, please take this cup away from me. Why is he saying take the cup away from me? It wasn't because the physical beatings were coming. It was not about that. You see, you got to have spiritual senses to understand. It was about perfection becoming repulsive. The father had to turn the other way. He couldn't even look at it. The angels were in shock. The agony that he's going through is this. He says, please stay here and keep watch with me. Next verse. Going a little farther, he fell in with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible. He was so submitted to Abba. He didn't have an agenda on his own. He said, father, please don't make me do this. This is not just so you can teach about it one day. He, He meant it. Please don't make me go through this. The idea of perfection, of holiness, of God almighty. He is a God. The elders can't even look at him without about dying in heaven. They fall down on their face. Angels can't take it. 
Even Gabriel can barely take it. You understand the perfection and the glory of God? If you've ever had an encounter with God, a true encounter with God on the highest level, you're you're not so sure you're going to make it through it. Campbellsville College, 1996, Campbellsville, Kentucky. I thought I was going to die, and it was not a demonic uh, attack on me. It was the glory of God filled my room, and I thought I was going to die. That perfection, I saw into heaven one time in a vision, and there was this light coming from a city. That perfection, that glory, he was becoming sin. And he said, God. You see, Peter didn't know it. James didn't know it. They couldn't discern it. You can be close to the things of God and not discern it. You gotta have eyes to see. And Jesus is the only one that could see. And then the one who wrote 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a person that did not follow him. The only reason Paul had revelation is because the Holy Spirit gave it to him. Just because you're walking with God doesn't mean you can see what God's doing in your life. You got to say, please shine your light because I'm not even sure. I know I'm in the garden with you, but I can't even see what you're doing in my life. You don't have the ability to articulate a single thing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. How dare you think you know what's going on in your life? And you say, well, I really, I know what's in my heart. That's indication that you don't know what's in your heart. You don't. The only way we have revelation is we say, God, please just, what are you doing? Shine your light. And then when he shines his light, then you have to decide, are you going to be courageous enough to do what he's telling you to do? And most of the time when he shines his light on your life, it's going to be something you don't want to do. If you think Jesus wanted to drink this cup, you've never studied this passage. He said, take it away from me. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. Who said the things of Jesus in the kingdom are easy? You want like an easy path or an easy God? You need to pick another religion. The closer you get to the Father, your path will become harder, you will die, and then he will elevate you. Because this whole journey is about getting me out of me. The whole journey is about him becoming greater. Jesus went through it. He said, Father, I don't want to do this. This wasn't like, wink, wink, hey, Father, I don't want to do this. But I'll say it three times because it was prophesied in Psalms. Nope. And then he says these, these words, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Most powerful prayer you will ever pray. So many of you look at your past and you see hurt, rejection, betrayal, people hurting you. And you're like, man, I thought when I gave my life to Christ, it would be like a, a wider path and things will be easier. The people who can persevere on the other side of that conflict, on the other side of your personal Gethsemane, there's always a higher level of God that you get in that you could not have gotten to if you wouldn't have gone through your Gethsemane. Some of you have been begging God to help your, your current season you're in to end, and you need to pray another way. Father, what are you trying to teach me in my Gethsemane season? Because one day you'll come out of it, and when you're out of the cave, you have a higher level of intimacy with the Father, and that's a joy nobody can take from you. I have been through a season of eight months of slander and gossip towards me and my family that if you'd have told me eight months ago all of the slander and gossip would have happened, I would have said, man, I really don't want to go through that. I am literally thankful for what I've been through. I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher and I'm trying to make it fit in a sermon. I'm serious. I'm downstairs last night watching a basketball game. I can't even focus on the basketball game because I'm talking to the father and I'm just telling him how much I love him. Uh, the father had me buy my wife a nice ring in Harbortown, Hilton Head. And we had a time where we just talked about our vows and our marriage and just what God's doing in our marriage. And it dawned on me in that moment what we've been through as a couple and going through so much warfare and what God's called me to do has actually brought us to a place where we've never been this close before. 
You may see your own Gethsemane as it's about to kill you. God doesn't see it that way. God says, Jesus, Yeshua, say yes to this. Say yes to this. And he says these words, nevertheless. When you choose nevertheless, he gives you something you can't get any other way. So go back to 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I'm I'm trying not to get to the resurrection message too fast. I want to. I'm going to sling this table here in a couple weeks. Why did he say yes in the Gethsemane? That we might become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness in Greek, you ready for this? It means your ability to stand before God Almighty, holy, blameless, beyond reproach, accepted, loved, cherished, forgiven, welcome to the table. You want to know why the Father gave up his own life? This is Jehovah in the garden. Jesus isn't like a demigod. He's God. Now, Peter might not have recognized it. I guarantee the angels did. Oh, Paul did. He went to the Arabian desert and got all his revelation on the Pauline epistles. Oh, he understood it. This garden was the sub, this is when the substitution where one is stepping in the place of another, Chad Norris, where I didn't deserve any of it. For what purpose? So that I can now stand back before God. I'm clean. I'm holy. I'm blameless. I'm accepted. I can have intimacy with God. I mean, you want to talk about substitution. I may still struggle with substitution, but I don't struggle on knowing what God did for me. You should wake up every morning and be so full of gratitude. I can't tell you the last time I asked God for something. All I want to do is say, you're awesome. You're all, I'm clean before you. I was once alienated, hostile in mind, performing in evil deeds. But now I stand before you holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. You can get to a place where you don't live for the applause of man. You can get to a place where it's, it doesn't really matter. You have the applause of Jehovah. Think about that. If you say, well, it's been years since I've been excited about my, who I am in Christ, it's because you don't know the gospel. It's because you don't understand substitution. And it makes for a funny story about me and my third grade experience. It's not funny when you've been in Christ for 40 years and you don't realize right now that guard moment that led to the cross has already set you free and you're not enjoying a party you've been invited to because you're locked up in your own mind. Imagine a prison gate coming open and you staying in the prison. Seriously, it's like the things that we fall a part of. What does it matter in the grand scheme of things? Quit blaming somebody for what you don't have in God. He died for you. Pity party, pity party, pity party. It's got to be someone's fault. It's got to be someone's fault. Pity party, pity party. If all of hell, if the hordes of hell came for you, you got one thing you hang on to, you stand in the presence of God Almighty, clean and blameless because of this God man. He's the God man. He's the ultimate superhero. That kid for Kentucky that hit that shot the other night, his last name's Hero. That might be the most prophetic thing I've ever seen in my life. I was like, Father, why didn't you make my name Hero? That'd be incredible. There are heroes in our lives. He's the ultimate hero. I need, I need four more minutes. You need to tell them downstairs. I need, I need four minutes. You should get excited every day. Every day you wake up, the devil ought to say about you, I cannot believe this person is awake again. I've been, I've been trying to kill her. I've been trying to kill her for 46 years. You can get to a place in God where the devil will take a season off from coming against you. And you know what? You don't need to hit in the altar. You don't need a famous minister to, to pray for you. You don't need the next songs that brings the goosebumps. You need revelation for your own theology. Martin Luther, he's a broken man. So was John Calvin. So was Zwingli. 
these, these Protestant reformers. The world was changed. It started as a core in the 1500s in Germany. It was changed off of Revelation where Martin Luther read Galatians and said, wait a minute. You need to have your own wait a minute moment with substitution. Do you really need your spouse to be your idol or your boss to be your idol or an addiction to be your idol? What, why, why look at anything else in life to bring me comfort over than this literal message? He said yes to the Father. And in exchange, you know what you get? Even though you put him on the cross, you now get an invitation to sit right beside him at the head of the king's table. <laughs> I've done the clinical depression thing. I can write a book on it. Literally, I got joy now and you can't take it away. And it didn't come through because someone told me that just because my dad didn't buy me boots in the fourth grade, I now can focus on this to get better. You know, what does it really matter? What, what has or has not happened to you? You are now accepted into a royal literal priesthood because the hero God man said, nevertheless, Peter, wake up, James, John, wake up, it's go, for they're coming to arrest me. And moments later in that garden, here comes Judas. He was not scared when Judas, when Judas kissed him. Once the father said, no, this is your assignment. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God, show me this. He smiled going towards the cross. I'm telling you. He, once he got through the garden, he says, my destiny has come. His destiny was to bring you back to the king's table. Let's stand up together in here. Father, I thank you for this faith family. I thank you that you're building a core here that's turning into a, a, a move for you. I apologize in, in any way for ever playing a part and thinking we need anyone other than you, King Jesus, in this church. We need you. You are on center stage. Lord Jesus, I, I hand this entire church over to you. Father, I hand it over to you. Holy Spirit, I hand it over to you. It is yours. Do with it what you please. The Father showed me a winnowing fork last Sunday in my garage. He showed me a winnowing fork at Bridgeway, and then he showed me black soil and a hand going into a bag and scattering seed. Watch what God's doing in our midst. He's raising up a remnant of people that are in this for Jesus, up under his leadership, what he wants. This is about the family, what God did at the women's retreat and what God did in the mentor tree is coming together. I see health coming to families and I see multiplication. I see people coming to Bridgeway that don't want stages, that don't want fame. They just want Jesus. I bless you that you would just want Jesus. Go in peace. Have a great week.